Welcome to Career Crashers, where we tell the stories of those who are not content to wait around following rules and hoping for good things to happen. Great careers aren't found, they're forged. It's time to crash the party. All right, today I have John Britton, who is the founder of Raise.dev, which is a um, well, I'll let him describe it, but it's kind of a, a coaching training program that's very project-based for helping developers get into the workforce, um, I think, in a really innovative way. And we can we can get into that. But I want to talk mostly with John about his own career crash story uh, because it's pretty interesting. And John, um, I don't know, I guess we can start where you drop out of college. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, I think that's a good place to start. Okay. Yeah. So, uh in high school, I, I didn't intend to go to college. I had some really great teachers who encouraged me, uh, and I got a pretty good deal uh, to go to Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. And after spending five years at the school um, doing various things like co-ops and study abroad programs, basically avoiding school, um, but under the guise of being a student, uh, I ultimately got a job at a startup. Um, I was working as a contractor, and they offered me a full-time job, and my scholarships had run out. Um, and I basically said, you know, I could pay 40 grand a year to continue my education or I could get paid, uh, you know, to start to start my career in earnest. So uh, I made the jump, left school. Um, you know, I was pretty close to finishing and I got a good education out of it. But uh, at the end of the day, the paper wasn't actually that important to me. And I, I most of what I got out of going to school was the network and the people uh, and the good experience. Was it um, was it important to like your parents? Did they were they worried about you or mad at you? Um, so nobody, uh, you know, nobody in my family had ever gone to college before me. So I was the first person in my, in my family to go to college. Um, my younger brother is actually the first person in our family to graduate college. Um, so he, he beat me to getting the degree. Um, my sister is really keen on me finishing. Um, but at this point, everybody kind of like accepts it as, um, you know, it's, it's not really necessary at this point anymore. Yeah. Um, having the job but like, probably helped. Yeah. Yeah. At, at the time it was definitely like a little bit controversial to leave school, especially with so much of it done. Um, you know, I, I have probably the equivalent of like a semester left to get the actual degree. Um, yeah. So it would just, it just was, it wasn't worth the money though. I came out of school at the end of it. I think I owed about $80,000 and it took me a good number of years to pay that off. Um, working in the software industry. And I just couldn't imagine doing like another 40,000 on top of that at the time. So were you, this first job that you got um, at the startup, was that a software development job? Yeah, so it was a software job. Um, It was actually in an area that I have a lot of passion for. Um, It was an open source college textbook company called Slot World Knowledge. Um, I actually met them at a conference called the Open Education Conference. and I heard about their business model. I was like, oh, this is awesome. And they had um, some web technology that they were doing that was in my specialty that I was kind of learning about. And I just kind of approached them and started talking to them. And they offered me you know, a pretty low paid contracting gig while I was in school. And I started doing that. And then just you know, one thing led to another. I was spending most of my time um, you know, working for them. And the next semester was coming up and they just offered me a job. And so I, I just went there and started working full time. So you ended up down the road a bit, um, getting a pretty amazing job at, uh, at GitHub, but tell me about what, what led up to that first. Cause I know you had, um, you mentioned when we were chatting, 
that you were kind of striking out for a while looking for um, looking for software engineering roles in New York? Yeah. So what happened was I was at this company that was just outside of New York City, the publishing company. Um, and a few things happened in the company. I moved into New York City and we were going to open an engineering office in New York City. And then that plan got scrapped. And so I had just moved to New York City with the intention of working in an engineering <laughs> office. I was the first engineer at this company as well. And we were having trouble hiring people um, because we were not in the city. So I, I moved into the city and then right after I signed my lease, they like changed the plan. And so I had this you know, dreadful hour and a half reverse commute from New York City out to my job. Um, and remote work wasn't really the thing at the time. So I, uh, yeah, I pretty quickly was like, I need to find a new job. And so I started my job search in New York City. Um, and I, I started to do the community thing as well. I started to go to meetups and, and talk to people and, and get involved in the New York City tech scene. Um, and I just applied to every software engineering job I could find in New York City. Um, I really aspired to work in Ruby on Rails, um, you know, being a Ruby developer, working on a team that had that as kind of their core uh, architecture, their core technology. Um, I had never worked on a team that used my favorite language. Uh, so I really wanted that. So I applied to a ton of different companies. Um, but over and over, what would happen is, you know, my resume uh, was really good lead generation. I'd get in the door. Um, I'd have a good phone screen with HR people. Uh, I'd even have maybe a technical call with, um, you know, the engineering manager or somebody on the team. And then when I'd go for the onsite interview for the technical screening where they'd have me, you know, program with somebody watching or, you know, pair programming or something like that, uh, I pretty much bombed all of those. Um, and to be honest, like I wasn't a very good developer at the time. <laughs> I was pretty, you know, pretty fresh out of school, hadn't even finished school. Um, I built a few things on the side for myself, but, um, you know, I really wasn't like a top engineer. And so after applying to say, you know, 25 or 30 companies in New York City and getting, you know, consistently getting to the technical screening and then getting, you know, rejected, um, you know, I was pretty demotivated uh, with the job search. Um, but I don't know how it happened. I somehow like stumbled upon this job posting for a developer evangelist position. And I didn't even know that that was a job. Um, and I think like a lot of people don't know this is a job and it's really, really cool job for people who have the same kind of interests as me. Um, it's kind of a cross between being a teacher, um, being a public figure, and you know, getting kind of out in the world, and also being highly technical. Mm. Um, and so I saw this job, and it was basically described as, we'll pay you to go out, travel around the country, and talk about our technology. And I was like, that sounds just like the thing for me. Um, you know, later on in my life, I, I became a nomad and I spent 10 years traveling the world, spending three months at a time in each country. Um, wow. So I love traveling. Um, I've always been involved in education uh, and I love technology. So this sounded like a perfect gig for me. And I applied for the job and it was at a company that I'd never heard of called Twilio. Um, and so I joined Twilio um, as a developer evangelist in New York City as employee number 13 when the company was totally unknown. So I got super lucky to find that. And what's interesting about it is, you know, I got rejected from these. 25 or 30 jobs as a software engineer. But once I changed my perspective of instead of trying to get the job that I um, thought was the job for me, I looked for the job that I was the one who was most qualified for the job. Mm. Nobody else you know, had the experience doing community management, doing education, teaching, um, and doing software development that was the right combination for that role. And so when I found that job, you know, it was... I wouldn't say it was an easy interview process. It was a, a very intimidating interview process. Um, the last step of the interview process was I flew out to San Francisco and I had to do a um, one hour talk or 30 minutes to an hour talk on a technical topic where the entire company 
came into the conference room and I like taught them how to do some software development. Wow. And for somebody who was failing software development interviews to be in front of like, you know, the CEO, the co-founders of this company and the whole engineering staff trying to say like, listen to me, I can teach you how to be in it, like how to do this cool engineering technology. It was intimidating, but ultimately it worked out. I got the job and that was really like a, a launching point for my career working with Twilio. That, um, it's such a great example of um, the kind of the the talent stack idea, and I think you you might have mentioned this article as well that Scott Adams wrote one time about this. This finding these rather than looking at okay, software engineer, I got to be a software engineer, um, so I got to get good at coding. Not that that's you know not on the table, but if you look at what are the intersections that I have that very few people have. So in your case, you could be like a decent but not great engineer and a pretty good, maybe good, really good, maybe great speaker. And if that intersection puts you in really rare company, because very few people have that combination. And rather than trying to look for the one thing that you can be the best at, if you can find those intersections sometimes, and sometimes they were advertising for this one. So that was really fortunate. But sometimes companies aren't even defining it that way because they don't expect to find it. But you can sort of find these niches where you're like, hey, I'm I'm at least minimum qualified for this component, but I also bring this other component that none of your other candidates do that can, you know, kind of create a unique uh, opportunity. That's such a great example. Yeah, I work with a lot of early career developers and I always give them the same advice, which is, you know, to become a top 5% developer is incredibly hard or top 1%, let's say. Uh, to become the top 1% at anything takes, you know, tons and tons of practice and there's a lot of competition. But when you are a top 20% developer and a top 20% public speaker and a top 20% educator and a top 20% something else, you put all those together and you're a unique person who is one of a dozen people in the world um, that meet those criteria. And it's not like, you know, there are so many different combinations that many, many, many of us can be, you know, one of a few dozen uh, that have the requisite skills. You just have to be able to find uh, the match. The other thing that I talk about a lot with these with early career devs is, you know, compensation and how you can, you know, have a competitive advantage. Um, if you just go for the standard software engineering track, you're going to just go for the standard software engineering pay scale, right? You know, you're 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 one of many people who are a software engineer. Now, when you start to build this like talent stack, like um, you know, Scott Adams says, the you, you become much more narrow, right? There's, there's a lot less jobs that fit you, but those particular jobs, you're creating such a value and you're so unique that, you know, supply and demand, right? If there's demand and you're the only supply, you can raise your prices. Um, and so you can get a better paying job by being more unique. Yeah. Um, so in this role, I'm curious, who, who is your audience? Who are you evangelizing to? Were you trying to sell the product to customers or were you trying to go recruit other developers to work for you? Yeah, so the, the job was um, to get the Twilio API into the hands of as many developers as possible. Got it. And, you know, developers have this kind of spidey sense where, you know, they're allergic to marketing. Yep. If you <laughs> send them spam emails or if you, you know, say book a sales call or whatever, like they just like cringe and run away. Um, so one of the things I've learned in my career in marketing to developers is, you know, you have to be genuine and provide lots of value. And the thing that I keep coming back to is when you're building a developer audience, marketing through education and creating educational opportunities is really, really valuable. So what we did is we, we took at something that was really complicated at Twilio, which is the phone system. 
sending SMS or making phone calls. Um, if you're not a telephony developer, you know you don't know about SIP, you don't know about um, you know PSTN technologies, you don't have the interconnects with the the carriers. It's really hard to build telephone uh, telephone applications, right? So we made it really simple and said, if you're a web developer and you know how to make a web request, you can make a phone ring. Mm. And so a lot of the time, what I was doing was using the idea of an API, whether it's HTTP or using webhooks or you know any anything related to that as a kind of a way in and say, I can teach you how to use webhooks. I can teach you how to use APIs. For example, with Twilio, you can do X, Y, and Z. And so I would often use our product as the example or you know use the use case of trying to make a phone ring and teach people about how to do the actual technologies. Because what was interesting is I wasn't out there trying to generate demand for the product because a lot of people wanted to build apps that use phones. What I was trying to do is to help them understand how to use the product because it was so technical. Um, so it was like a part, one part support, one part teaching, um, and then a lot about building enthusiasm and, and having connection and community with them as well. So um, the two items that I want to uh, spend the rest of our time on are your GitHub job, kind of how you got it and what you did there. And then I want to talk all about raise.dev, um, how you started it, and then what it's all about. So um, you pick how you want to okay. how you want I mean, to take let's it. Go chron- let's go chronologically because- I, I like know, it. That, 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 that makes sense. Um, so yeah, I, I worked at Twilio for a while. Um, in between Twilio and GitHub, I actually was involved with this nonprofit uh, open source project called Peer to Peer University, which was an online uh, education project focused on you know creating educational spaces. Um, it was very connected to things like the open courseware movement, uh, open education, and it was you know something that I actually worked on as a side project, even from that beginning first job at the publishing house. Um, so I did that full time um, for about a year, and then um, actually what happened was really funny. Um, Somebody from Newsweek magazine sent me an email, and I don't know why they picked me. Um, I'm, I'm nobody important, you know, at all. Uh, but for some reason, Newsweek says, "Hey, John, we really want to know your opinion on who the best software developers in the world are. Um, can you like help me? I'm writing this article." Um, and some some random writer, right? Um, I was like, "Sure, I can help." I went I went onto my favorite website, GitHub.com, and started <laughs> looking at the staff page. And on the staff page, I could see all these like, great developers, like. You know uh, the founders, uh, Scott Chacon. Um, you know, there's a bunch of a bunch of people that you 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 can see on there. Um, and I just like listed them off. They're like, who are your top ten favorite developers? And it was like the ten people who worked at GitHub, you know, when at the very beginning. And uh, I also happened to notice that they had a jobs page, so I clicked on it. And then I went to their jobs page and I saw education liaison um, as a job posting. And it just like clicked to me. You know, we're talking about the talent stack. Like this job was exactly made for me. It was at the world's like foremost developer company. Um, it was about education. It was about technology, um, and it was something that I'd spent my entire career on. Um, so I decided I wanted to apply for the job, um, and I wasn't actually looking. Like I wasn't like on the job market really looking for a job. It was just this job was like so perfect, and I could see you know GitHub to me had already won the hearts and minds of developers. This was in two thousand. I guess I applied in 2011 or 2012. Um, I started in 2012. It was a long application process. I think it took about six months from start to finish um, wow. getting hired. Yeah, yeah, it was really long. Um, but anyways, I, 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 it was pretty early on. Like GitHub wasn't the household name that it, that it is now, but it was still pretty popular. And I knew as a developer, it was like the thing, right? Um, and so I saw it as an opportunity and I decided to apply. And in my application, 
um, I actually applied to them using GIST. Um, I don't know if you know what GIST is, but uh, no. GitHub has this tool called GIST. Um, okay. It's like a, it's a page where you can post up um, small snippets of text and it's kind of like a paste bin, but it's all code formatted. So okay. you can put in Markdown or you can put in your, your source code and it will highlight it. Um, and that gives you a URL and that URL, um, you know, you can share it with people and they can see your code, right? It's just a really quick way to share a code sample or something. And so I used Markdown, which is like the text format that developers love to use. And I wrote my resume in Markdown and I wrote my cover letter in Markdown and I put it up on GIST. And then I took that link and I emailed it to them and said, hey, you should hire me. And, you know, the first kind of like customization was I applied to them using their product. Yep. Right. Um, then but, once by the way, I've seen many, many people do this really effectively, like um, uh, companies like uh, Notion, Figma, Webflow. We've had a lot of people, crash users, pitch them and say, hey, check out this thing I made for you on Notion. Or, hey, I, I created this, you know, resume or my work history thing on a Webflow page. Like, that's such a, it sounds so obvious, but so few people think about doing that. If there's a way to use the product in your pitch or application to them, it's such a huge, uh, huge win. Yeah, I mean, there's also, I, I always talk to people about this too, is that you need to differentiate yourself. Um, you know, I don't think that you get hired based off of your resume. Yep. You get an interview based off of your resume, yes. right? And it's all about like lead gen and getting the conversion from, they look at my resume and they say, I want to talk to this person, right? Once you get the, once you get them to say they want to talk to you, like now it's a whole new ballgame, right? You have to, you have to really, you know, sell them and, and, and be the right fit. But um you know, if you don't get past that first stage of them wanting to talk to you, then it doesn't matter how good you are. You have to, you have to get that meeting, right? And one of the ways to do that is to just be different, right? Um, and don't do it in a, like a really like obnoxious way. You know, the people with like the glitter filled envelopes or whatever, like, <laughs> it's just like, you know, nobody, nobody wants that. But you know, when you apply using their product, they're like, oh, they were thoughtful. You can tell that this person actually wants a job at this company. They're not just spraying the resume everywhere, or if they are, they're at least doing it thoughtfully. Um, so yeah, I applied using gist. I wrote my, um, cover letter and my resume in, uh, markdown and my cover letter was, you know, very specific to GitHub. And it, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it had five or six like kind of bullet points where it was like open education, um, asynchronous travel, like all these things that were like core fundamental principles that I live my life by and why, you know, by example, how they've helped me and like how they match GitHub's values. Right. And so I, I outlined that as like my cover letter. And then my resume was super, super short and sweet. It was probably 20 lines long, um, plain text from, from starting year to ending year job title, starting year to ending year job title, starting year, ending year job title. And then the last section was um, like achievements. And the achievement section was really the important part because this is a you know, developer company that's hiring somebody to do their education programs. And they don't really know it at this point because at the time GitHub had no management, they had um, not a lot of structure within the company, but this was a marketing job, right? And they didn't put it out there as like part of the marketing department or have anything about marketing. And so I, I was able to include in my achievements, you know, successes from Twilio, um, all the events I've spoken at in the past and just show that, you know, I'm already doing this job. They just need to hire me and I'll, continue, I'll keep doing it. And so I got a call back from them pretty quickly that they were interested. And then it took a while to get uh, things booked. And then I, I kept nagging them. And the hiring manager wrote me back and said, hey, we want to have you come into the office. Can you come next week? I was like, sure, but you know I'm in Poland, right? Um, and they're like, oh, no, we didn't know that. 
um, let's do a Skype interview first. Um, cause like we hadn't done any, any call. Like it was literally, they went from resume to like, we want you in the office for a round of interviews. So I kind of was kicking myself for, you know, not just getting them to buy me a flight out there and get in there <laughs> immediately. But, uh, we did the video interviews. They went pretty well. And then the onsite interview was, I flew out to San Francisco and spent half a day, maybe three quarters of the day at the office. And my first interview was with one of the founders, uh, Tom, uh, Tom Preston Werner. And I walked in and they, they have this thing called the executive lounge, which is, you know, when you're a total outsider coming in, it looks really intimidating, but it's actually just a big joke. Um, it's got like big leather chairs. There's like a globe. There's a, a, an oil portrait of the Octocat holding like a glass of scotch. Like, it's, it's, it's really ridiculous. And I walk in there and there's like Tom, one of the co-founders. And he's just like, so tell me about education. Like, why are you the person? Um, and it was, then there was like a panel interview where I spoke to like, you know, five or six people. Uh, and then I had lunch with the whole company, you know, or the people that were in the office, right? They had a big lunch table and I hung out with them. Um, yeah. And then they got back to me and I started, you know, pretty, pretty quick after that. So tell me about when you decided uh, to go start your own company, to go start raise.dev and then um, kind of what's the vision? I mean, make, make, make a pitch for our listeners who might be a good fit for raise.dev uh, as well. For sure. So I'll, I'll start with like how we got it started and then I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you about, um, you know, what it is and how to get involved. Yeah. Um, so seven years at GitHub, um, the Microsoft acquisition happened and I decided it was time for me to go do my own thing. Um, I left GitHub, uh, March of last year and then I put a tweet up. Um, I tweeted that I was hiring an apprentice personally, um, and that the focus was going to be on building skills, um, quality of code, not on speed. And that I would personally spend a lot of my time helping that person you know, level up and ultimately get them into a new job. And this wasn't an idea to start a company. This was just the idea to, you know, I love helping developers, right? That's all I do all the time. My whole career is based off of helping developers and education. Um, and I really find it enjoyable. And, you know, the thing that, that makes it worth it for me is, you know, helping these people out and seeing what they get up to in the future, right? You know, I, I've worked with so many of these early career developers that, are now doing like so many, so many great things. They're like top companies, you know, out there, top Silicon Valley companies. They're, you know, very, very successful. And it just feels like it's good feelings. Yeah. So anyways, I put this tweet out and kind of didn't expect it, but within a week I had 5,000 people apply to be my personal apprentice. Um, and it's wow. not like I'm like a crazy popular person on Twitter, right? Like I have a, a small number of users. I, I, I kind of like opted out of Twitter in like 2013 and haven't used it that much. Um, but what happened was people who are in coding boot camps or online, um, you know, like coding communities started to share it with each other. And it really struck a nerve as an, an opportunity that's necessary. And the more I've spent, more time I've spent thinking about this, there's an experience gap for developers going, starting their careers. Um, you know, every employer hires based off of experience. They want to know what you've accomplished. It's really hard as a developer to get that first job without the experience. I mean, I went through this personally. We talked about, you know, I had 30 times I got rejected at the technical screen level because, you know, I hadn't really had a, a successful career as a developer up to that point. So every single person who was evaluating me was evaluating, should I take the risk on this person? Is yeah. it worth it for us to be the ones to, to take, the, take the risk? So this experience gap problem is you don't have the experience to get the job, but you can't get the job so without the job, you can't get the experience. And it's just a vicious cycle of, you know, inability to get a job because you don't have experience. 
and inability to get the experience because you don't have a job. Yeah, um, it's it's such a challenge for. I mean, you know, we're a we're a fairly early stage startup, and so we face this ourselves. Like, hey, it'd be great to bring on a junior level developer, except our senior developers would be less productive for about six months. So yeah. we would have like a net decrease in output for a good amount of time. And especially if you're an early company, that's like a huge. So yeah, it is, it is definitely a, a very, uh, I see that all the time. I see that all the time, especially coming out of boot camps. Like I'm, I just can't add enough value fast enough. I'll be able to in a year or six months or, you know, whatever. But Which right is a, now, a I'm huge a amount of time for an early stage company. Right. Exactly. A year is just a, an eternity. Yeah. Um, so yeah, these developers are facing this problem. And, and because of this experience gap, when I posted that tweet, that's why we got so much demand. It's like, oh, this is exactly the thing I need to jumpstart my career. And you know, I originally intended to just hire one person, um, but I gave everybody who applied feedback. I looked at every resume. Um, I did tons and tons of interviews with these folks. And then ultimately I hired four of them um, with no business model. Literally, I just said like, on Monday, I want you to show up at this place. I, I, I rented a co-working space for, with five desks in it and just put them to work. We took on some pro bono um, projects with, open, with uh, nonprofits uh, building their software. And I use that as kind of our educational you know, curriculum, if you will. We don't have a curriculum. We don't have a, a set program. You just uh, because, start coding real projects. Exactly. Because I believe that the, 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 the fundamental thing that they need is experience. And yeah. it's not, I don't teach people how to code. Right. Raise.dev is not about learning how to code. People come in knowing how to code, but they've never been on a team before. Uh, they've never shipped code to production. They've never used continuous integration or done pair programming. Um, there's all these things that real teams do all the time that they need experience with. And so we started to do that with them and we found that it was really, really successful. So fast forward um, about a year, year and a half uh, later, we've had six people go through the program um, in this kind of high touch model. Um, which was our first kind of beta pilot program. Um, 100% of those people got jobs um, as software engineers. Uh, on average, they increased their base salary by $53,000 per year. Wow. That's not even including um, the fact that most of them didn't have any benefits before they started uh, with us. So they went from you know having no health insurance to getting health insurance, having um, you know, no paid time off to having you know two weeks of paid time off, three weeks of paid time off sometimes at these companies, and then also having equity participation because they go, went to go work for startups, right? Yeah. So they get an equity grant as well, um, and they're they're just massively increasing uh, their salary. So that that was you know kind of what happened, and then I realized you know there's an opportunity to build a company. So um, what we're doing now um, is we're actually doing a matching program. So you can go to raise.dev and sign up. Um, and what we'll do is we'll help you set a goal. The goal uh, can be anything from get your first job as a developer, uh, get a promotion, move into engineering management or technical leadership, um, contribute to open source for the first time, or learn a very specific skill, um, say like using Kubernetes or another technology that you really want to learn about. So you set your goal. After you set your goal, we match you with an experienced software developer coach. Um, these software coaches have worked in some very big companies. You know, when I started the company, it was I was one of the coaches. Uh, but we have people from all over. And then with your coach, you work on real projects. Um, what happens is you either pick a personal project that you want to get out the door. Uh, you, we match you with an open source project where we help you work with maintainers on actually making contributions to open source and pushing them out into uh, those projects. Or you work with one of our uh, employment partners and do a, a project with them that's real software at a real company with a real team um, 
that you get help from your coach. And what's interesting about the way the coach works uh, is that if you get a job at a company, you know, you don't want to look like you don't know what you're doing. And it's, it's, it's kind of like, you don't want to ask those really basic questions that might block you in the beginning for fear of being found out that you don't belong. Yeah. And the way that the software developer coach works with Raise is they're here for you. Um, they, they work for you. They work with you. Um, they're not part of that company. And so you are encouraged to ask every question that you want. And, you know, it's okay if you don't know the answer. We're going to help you learn the skills you need. And so as programmers, we have this, um, you know, we, we talk about it all the time. It's just-in-time learning. Um, yeah. If we knew how to do the thing, it would already be done, right? And so your job as a programmer is not to walk in on the job and know everything up front. It's to be able to figure out the solution. And so what our coaches do is we help you build the skill of that just-in-time learning so that if you're totally stuck, you know, there's somebody who has experience who can take the time and help you break things down and build a plan. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of the story about raise.dev. Um, and the, the goal is just to help developers level up, right? Everything I, I that we can it. do to help developers level up. I love it. Yeah. It's funny. So many programs, um, yeah, I'm less familiar with the details of coding boot camps and sort of non-technical, but I assume there's a lot of similarity and the way that sort of school itself is typically structured is, is the opposite of just in time. It's I call it just in case learning, right? Like, Hey, let's learn this just in case you ever need it someday. And it's like just sort of random set of facts that you may or may not need eventually, which is such a inefficient way um, versus that just in time. Okay. I have an actual thing that needs to be accomplished. Now I'm forced to learn something to get it done. Um, and that just being able to being able to thrive in that environment is huge. John, this is absolutely awesome. Um, so raise.dev is uh, conveniently the name and the website for people who want to check it out. Do you have goals for how many customers you hope to be working with um, this year or next? I mean, we're, we're trying to get as many as we can, really. Uh, okay. I, I would say uh, we're open to talking to you know, any types of companies that would uh, be interested in building up their talent pipeline this way through yep. kind of cultivating new talent. Uh, that's been pretty successful so far uh, with the folks that we've worked with. And then on the developer side, um, I want to talk to every developer who mm. needs needs the help to level up. Um, and it's any, you know, any not programming able to language. Any programming language, um, and it's not that we're um, you know we're we're not able to take everybody. Um, yeah. You might not be ready yet. But my goal isn't to say um, you know you apply to raise.dev and then you're rejected. Um, it's more of you apply to raise.dev and we give you feedback to say what you need to do to get to to be ready. Um, so in order to, you know, kind of start with us, you have to know how to code so that, that just in case learning stuff you were talking about, like you need to have a good foundation, mm -hmm. know how to code, but we specifically don't require you to have any on the job experience. So if you're ready for that first on the job experience, you can come to us. Um, and then also, um, you know, I'm obviously looking to work with, uh, experienced developers as well. If you're an experienced developer and you think part-time, um, you'd like to spend helping other developers level up. Um, I think Raise the Dev is a great place for you as well. Um, we can, you know, kind of help you with matching to the right right groups of people, finding people who understand or, or want to learn your technology. And it's even a great way, uh, if you work at a company and you're trying to recruit, becoming a coach is a good way to start to build up your talent pipeline as well. Yeah. Oh, I love it. John, thank you so much, man. You have a great story and I'm really excited to see what happens with, uh, with Raise.dev as you go forward. Excellent. Thank you. Like what you hear? Go to crash.co and join the career revolution. If you want to share your own career crash story, send it directly to me at isaac at crash.co. 